Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Actus Podcast, a bi-weekly program dedicated to bringing you closer to the difference makers in CDI and sharing the latest news relevant to the CDI profession in Actus. I'm Carla Cordo, an editor and product coordinator for Actus, and I'll be your host for today's show, which is part of our Conversations with Carla series. In every episode of this series, I'll be joined by a guest who's behind one of our most popular and exciting Actus educational offerings to share their expertise. Today, we're joined by Laura McLaughlin, BSN, RN, CCDS from Freightert Health in Milwaukee, who's going to give us a special preview of her poster, Stop Throwing Money Away, Appeal Clinical Validation Denials, which will be in the exhibit hall of the 2023 Actus Conference this May in Chicago. Laura has 25 years of critical care nursing experience and has been with Freightert Health since 2005. She became a clinical documentation specialist for the organization in 2019 and joined the clinical validation denials team in 2020. She works closely with physician advisors to evaluate and appeal these denials, and it is work she is extremely proud of and passionate about. She's also a member of Actus National and the Wisconsin Actus Chapter. When she's not wearing her CDI hat, she enjoys spending time with her husband, three children, and Golden Retriever. Also, a quick reminder about the fact that the Actus podcast now offers 0.5 Actus CEUs for the first two days after airing, which can be used towards your CCDS or CCBSO recertification requirements. We'll share the instructions at the end of the show, so stay tuned for that. But before we jump into our topic, a brief word about today's sponsor. Actus Pro delivers all the decision-making information necessary to conduct medical record reviews in an easy-to-reference online app. CDI specialists rely on Actus Pro as their go-to resource for trusted clinical indicators for compliant and effective physician queries. Quickly look up the latest clinical definitions, diagnostic criteria, treatment protocols, coding considerations, and critical thinking tips for over 90 clinical conditions. Search and sort, take notes, and bookmark tips within your own customizable user interface. Benefit from regular automated updates to query coding and documentation changes as they happen so that your reference is never out of date. And now, Actus Pro provides the information CDI specialists need to understand which codes trigger a patient safety indicator in the Patient Safety and Adverse Events Composite, PSI 90, and which exclude the patient encounter from reporting. When reviewing records for encounters that could trigger a PSI and PSI 90, CDI specialists want to ensure that all information is captured correctly. Actus Pro provides users with access to the information needed to properly report these PSIs and to identify exclusions that would remove an encounter from a PSI, resulting in a positive impact on their organization's reimbursement rates. Use the link in today's show notes to learn more about Actus Pro. Before I bring out Laura, and to help put today's interview into context, I wanted to share a few statistics about denials in the current CDI landscape. According to the 2022 CDI Week Industry Survey, 67.9% of respondents are involved in the denials or appeals process. This is nearly 10 percentage points higher than in 2020, showing that CDI is expanding into denials and appeals. Part of the reason for the increase in CDI's denials involvement may be due to the fact that hospitals, especially after COVID-19-related financial hits, are looking to protect their bottom lines. Additionally, almost 18% of respondents involved in the denials or appeals process, which is the majority, say they've been involved for three to four years. Nearly 16% indicated that they've been involved for more than 10 years, though, demonstrating that CDI has long had roots in the denials and appeals process. Approximately 40% of respondents said their team leads and managers are the ones involved in the denials management process, while a little over a quarter indicated that they have a denial slash appeals specialist in the CDI department. 
Almost three quarters of CDI departments are involved with clinical validation denials, which I'll be discussing with today's guest shortly, and more than half are involved in DRG validation denials. On average, most respondents said that approximately a third of their denials fall into the clinical validation category, 22% are coding-based denials, and 21% are DRG validation denials. The most frequently denied diagnoses included sepsis, respiratory failure, and malnutrition. According to Lena Wilson, MHI, RHIA, CCS, CCDS, RCS, Specialized Manager of CDI and ICD-10 Clinical Education at Indiana University Health in Indianapolis, these top diagnoses shouldn't surprise any CDI professionals since they've basically been the top queried diagnoses for decades as well. To help manage denials, nearly 47% of CDI departments surveyed said they clinically validate high-risk diagnoses concurrently, and 39% said they review denials on a case-by-case basis upon request. Furthermore, about 30% provide education to physicians based on denial trends. Physician advisors are also taking up the fight against denials. According to a 2022 ACTA survey, 66% of physician advisors reported that their CDI departments have expanded into denials management, taking on some of these duties. 22% reported that their CDI departments are considering expanding and taking on denials management duties as well. Additionally, 41% of physician advisor respondents indicated that they spend at least a quarter of their time as physician advisors engaging in denials management and related activities. In the 2022 Physician Advisor Exchange Insights Report, Denials Are Increasing, How Strong Physician Leaders Are Making a Difference, physician advisors identified the following as top areas of concern. One, higher than usual denial volumes and denial batching. Two, confusing arbitrary payer rules and criteria. Three, egregious auditor behavior. Four, a shortage of qualified appeals writers. Five, health plan mega mergers that wield more power. And six, lack of political will to change payer behavior. The panel also weighed in on physician advisors' evolving roles, looking at how they allocate time for various denials management efforts, including attending administrative law judge hearings, and addressing documentation, contracting, and peer-to-peer responsibilities. Physician advisors spent considerable time reviewing and supporting appeals writing, especially for high-impact areas such as clinical validation and medical necessity or high-dollar denials. However, they acknowledged the frustration of having to pick and choose which cases to work on due to the high volume of denials they are experiencing. These physician advisors also specified the following as the top denied diagnoses, sepsis, respiratory failure, severe malnutrition, encephalopathy, acute kidney injury, stroke, hyponatremia, and acidosis, mirroring those diagnoses reported by CDI specialists in the CDI Week industry survey. Others say they are seeing more instances of payers dropping the principal diagnosis in favor of the secondary diagnosis, which is a lower-paying DRG. You can read more about the experiences of CDI professionals with denials in the CDI Week industry survey, which we'll provide a link to in the show notes. And now that we have a little more context as to how prevalent denials are in the CDI industry right now, I'd love to bring on today's guest. Thank you again for joining me today, Laura. I'm so excited to sit down with you and discuss your poster at the upcoming ACTUS conference. To start us off, Can you tell me a little bit about your role at Freydert and how that inspired your poster? Sure. Um, I started at Freydert 18 years ago, 
I was an ICU resource pool nurse and I staffed um, six different critical care areas. And four years ago, I became a clinical documentation specialist and I've been working on clinical validation appeals for three years. Our clinical validation appeals team at Freighter is amazing and I'm very proud of the work we are doing. So I was inspired to create the poster for the ACTUS conference in May, not only to share our successes, but also encourage other organizations to start looking at clinical validation denials. I believe that every hospital should have a program in place where they review and appeal these type of denials. Yeah, and for those people on the line who may not be familiar with those type of denials, can you talk me through that a little bit? What exactly is a clinical validation denial? A clinical validation denial happens when an insurance company does not agree with either the principal diagnosis or secondary diagnoses that have been coded after an inpatient admission. So they decide to remove these diagnoses from our claims. They feel that there's not enough evidence in the medical record to support the diagnoses. So for example, a patient's admitted with sepsis and a UTI, and the insurance company might claim that the patient did not meet clinical criteria for sepsis. They'll remove the code for sepsis and change the principal diagnosis to UTI. And another example is a patient's admitted with acute hypoxic respiratory failure, secondary to acute heart failure. And then they'll claim that the patient did not meet the clinical criteria for the acute hypoxic respiratory failure and re remove that code from the claim. So as a result, the insurance companies end up adjusting our claims. So it's usually a lower paying DRG. So you ultimately end up with a lower reimbursement rate for something that you treated that was more complex. Correct. And a lot of these claims happen long after the insurance companies have already reimbursed us for the stay. Okay. So they are sending the letters out and they are asking for a certain dollar amount back. Okay. So they're looking for, they're looking for you to repay that difference back to them. Oh gosh. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> So what prompted the creation of the Clinical Validations Appeals Program? I think I read in your poster proposal that it started in 2018. Correct. Um, so a few things happened. Um, first, our payers started to really increase the number of denials that they were sending to us. Uh, secondly, in 2017, we got a new team of physician advisors. They recognized the importance of reviewing these type of denials. They created a process to appeal them and they also organized our team. Currently, our, we have a very dedicated team that consists of three physician advisors, a coding specialist, a coding coordinator, and three clinical documentation specialists. So you've got a really diverse team that's covering a lot of ground. Correct. Can you tell me about the program's process for appeals? Sure, once we receive a letter, our coding coordinator enters all of the pertinent information into a shared Excel spreadsheet. Everyone on our team has access to this spreadsheet. Once we determine that an appeal is needed, then one of our clinical documentation specialists will write the initial appeal. When that is done, the letters are finalized by our coding specialists. And sometimes it takes multiple letters and sometimes even a physician peer-to-peer -peer review to get these denials overturned. Okay. How do you determine which denials should be appealed? So our clinical documentation specialist will do a first review of the denials for sepsis and malnutrition. Our physician advisors do the first review for every other diagnosis that is denied. 
Uh, we will read the denial letters and then review the medical record. If there's enough support to clinically validate the diagnoses that are being denied, then we will update our spreadsheet so everyone is aware that the appeal letter is needed. Now, when you get to that actual point of appeal, what would be included in an appeal of a denial? So we write a letter back to the insurance companies. And also, I should say, some of the insurance companies have a third party that send out the denial letters. And we will let them know that we do not agree with their decision to remove certain diagnoses from claims. We will then provide any support we find in the medical record that clinically validates the diagnosis. And sometimes if we need to, we'll reference coding guidelines. Um, Sometimes we'll include medical journals that support our appeal. And at other times, we even use the insurance companies. Um, They have their own published criteria for clinical validity of certain diagnoses. And we will sometimes even put that in our um, appeals to show them that we're even meeting their criteria. That makes a lot of sense. So a lot of different areas you can pull from, but ultimately you're trying to prove that you did what you were supposed to on your end and it shouldn't have been denied. Is that correct? Correct. We are going back and telling them that these diagnoses are valid and we will Mm -hmm. support it by how our providers evaluated, monitored, and treated those diagnoses during this day. Got it. Are there denials that you see more often than others, like diagnoses that are more more commonly denied? Yes, most definitely. Um, I'd say our most common denials are for sepsis, respiratory failure, and malnutrition. Uh, We also see many denials for AKI, ATN, encephalopathy, and acute heart failure. So what we've done with those most frequent denials, our physician advisors have created templates for our most frequently seen denials. And this really has helped us decrease the amount of time we spend on each denial. But within those templates, the clinical criteria is addressed and it really helps strengthen our appeals. I can see how that would help. So how has the program worked to decrease these denials specifically? So our physician advisors have done a few things to help decrease the amount of denials we see. They provide education for our hospitalists on commonly denied diagnoses. They give feedback to our specialists if they notice certain trends that are affecting their denial rates. They also work with our contracting partners when insurance company contracts are being renewed. But our physician advisors are very dedicated to this work and decreasing these type of denials. And in fact, two of our physician advisors, Dr. Julie Kalinske and Dr. Carrie Alme, they'll be sharing this information regarding our clinical validation denials program at the ACTUS pre-conference in May to other physician advisors. That's right. I've been working with both of them. (laughs) I'm looking forward to their presentation. They're going to be great. So generally speaking, what's been the reaction of physicians to the evolution of the Clinical Validation Appeals Program? I would say our physicians get frustrated when they hear a diagnosis that they have made is being denied, especially because they're the ones at the bedside. However, they are happy that we have an appeals process in place. And with our current process, I think one of the most beneficial things is our bedside physicians really need to get involved, which allows them to focus their time and energy into the care of our patients. 
So it sounds like you have their buy-in and support for appealing these denials. Would you say that's fair? Yes, correct. We're lucky to have our wonderful physician advisors involved in this process. And our physician advisors really try to shield the treating physicians from being involved. Sometimes we do need to consult the treating physicians uh, when we have a clinical question that is specific to their expertise. But when we ask them, our specialists are more than willing to help us appeal denials by providing the clinical support from the medical record to validate the diagnosis that's being denied. And then my my last question for you is how, even just generally speaking, do you measure the program's success? So I feel the growth of our program in itself has been a huge success. Uh, When our program started, we had one physician advisor working on the appeals, and we were only looking at the denials at one of our hospitals. Currently, we are up to three physician advisors and three nurses working on appeals that are sent to three of our hospitals. So the growth has been huge. As a result, we've been able to increase the number of appeals we are doing and increase the number of appeals we are able to overturn, which as a result, we end up recouping a greater amount of money that we don't have to pay back to the insurance companies. Um, Our physician advisors, they have established relationships with the insurance companies. And when needed, the physician advisors will meet with the physicians from the insurance companies to talk about the denials that not only we are seeing, but struggling to overturn when the clinical evidence is there um, that these diagnoses were obviously being treated. I think our most important and our greatest success has been the dedication and the retention of the members of our team. Uh, When I joined the team three years ago, our team has grown since then, but I am still working with the same five core people I did three years ago. So I was hoping I could take this opportunity to thank my team or our team, uh, Dr. Kalinske, Dr. Alme, Holly, Janet and Tracy for really making this process run smoothly and just being great people to work with. And I really do enjoy working with all of you. And uh, I'm looking forward to also working with one of our newest nurses on our team, um, Krista. So, and she is going to be awesome. Uh, So we are very, very proud of our team. And I I think it shows in, in the work that we do, that we all work together and get the job done. Thanks, Laura. I really appreciate that sentiment and you taking the time to recognize that it's a team effort really in everything that this that this team does, that it's not just one person, it's everybody. I think it's really important to recognize that. So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. This has been such an interesting conversation. I know I'm so excited to see your poster at the conference, but unfortunately we have run out of time for our discussion today. If you are attending the ACTUS conference this May in Chicago, I just want to say, don't forget to stop by the exhibit hall to check out Laura's poster and say hi and see all of the other great posters that we will have on display from other CDI professionals across the country. As always, if our audience has any questions about this topic, you can feel free to email the ACTUS team at info at actus.org. We'll also put that email in today's show notes, which are available on the show page at actus.org 
and in your podcast app so you can grab it from there. Now it's time for the Actus Update, a regular segment featuring the latest news on what's going on inside the association. First, I'd like to mention that we're currently looking to hear from you through our annual membership survey. This survey provides us a glimpse into each member's needs, wants, and even frustrations. While we can't sit down with each of you, your candid responses in this survey will be invaluable as Actus seeks to improve its offerings within the membership and the broader industry. We are also open to any non-member friends who'd like to add their input, particularly surrounding our free resources. In the survey, we ask questions to gauge what's most valuable to you about your Actus membership and what isn't. There are plenty of free response options, too, with open questions about things such as what additional resources you would like us to make available or what type of industry guidance you'd like to see for the betterment of your job. As a thank you for your time, we'll be randomly selecting two winners of either a free webinar or free membership. Winners will be announced after the survey closes. The Actus team takes pride in striving to meet your needs, but we can't do it without you, so please consider taking a moment to let us know what's on your mind. The survey is open now through March 10th. Additionally, this is your last chance to take advantage of early bird savings on registration for the 2023 Actus National Conference, this May 8th to the 11th in Chicago. You must register by March 6th to save $100. Furthermore, Actus members can save an additional $100 simply for being members. That's an opportunity to save $200 off registration, and it'll be gone in just a few days. We spend more than half of our lives at work. It's time to stop seeing our nine-to-fives as just work and start seeing ourselves as part of a community of individuals striving to learn and grow. Now more than ever, it's time to see your job in CDI as an opportunity to flourish professionally and personally. At the 2023 conference, you'll find sessions for all experience levels and backgrounds in each of the tracks, which include clinical encoding, a much-loved conference staple including core clinical encoding components, vital to all those engaged in ongoing medical record reviews, perfect for those new to CDI as well as those who wish to expand or refresh their knowledge. The CDI Masterclass for those who wish to expand their professional skills and explore advanced concepts in CDI. Quality and regulatory, an opportunity to explore the ways regulatory initiatives affect CDI practices and the ways programs are meeting new challenges by examining how documentation affects quality of care outcomes. Management and program development, which is a track devoted to expanding program parameters and innovating CDI staff and management experiences and expertise. And lastly, innovation and expansion, which is an exploration of cutting-edge advancements, including non-traditional settings, concurrent coding, data analytics, and outpatient CDI. And if you're looking to extend your learning opportunities or you want to focus exclusively on outpatient CDI, I'm pleased to share that the Actus Symposium, Outpatient CDI, returns this year in person for the first time in several years. It takes place immediately before the National Conference on May 7th and 8th at the same hotel in Chicago. The Actus Symposium, Outpatient CDI, is focused exclusively on CDI efforts in the outpatient and ambulatory setting and features innovative sessions and dynamic speakers you won't find anywhere else. This two-day event includes diverse sessions for both managers and leaders and clinical chart reviewers, including how to get started in the ambulatory setting, query techniques and nuances, metrics and analytics, staff training, and demonstrating return on investment. Plus, take advantage of the many networking opportunities to connect with and learn from your peers in outpatient CDI. Smaller and more intimate than the annual Actus Conference, the Actus Symposium Outpatient CDI is the perfect place to ask your questions about outpatient CDI. Listen to case studies from organizations with successful programs and equip yourself with practical resources and information that you can implement immediately. 
And if you want to stick around for the Actus National Conference immediately following the symposium, special discounts are available. For those looking to attend the Outpatient Symposium, note that you too can take advantage of the early bird and Actus member savings as well, as long as you register before March 6th. Additionally, if you're planning on joining us for any portion of the conference, be sure to book your hotel room by April 14th to take advantage of our discounted room block rate. You can use the link in today's show notes to make the most of this offer. Don't miss your chance to spend your days learning from industry veterans and professionals in the trenches and your nights exploring all that Chicago has to offer. As always, you can find the link for more information in today's show notes. As a reminder before we close out, each Actus podcast episode now offers 0.5 Actus CEUs, which can be used towards recertifying your CCDS or CCDSO credential for those who listen to the show in the first 48 hours from the time of publication. To receive your 0.5 CEUs, go to the show page on actus.org located under the resources tab and follow the instructions in the show notes for today's episode. Your certificate will automatically be emailed to you upon submitting the brief evaluation. The cutoff for today's episode CEU is Friday, March 3rd at 11 p.m. Eastern. After that point, the CEU period will close and you will not be eligible for the 0.5 CEUs for this week's episode. If you listen to all the episodes and claim all the CEUs for the podcast episodes this year, you'll have earned 12 free CEUs for the year. And with that, we have reached the end of today's Actus podcast episode. We'll be back in two weeks on Wednesday, March 15th for our next show, which is part of the Actus Happy Hour series, and we'll feature an interview related to competencies and audits. If you would like to receive reminders about each episode, make sure you're subscribed to our free weekly newsletter, CDI Strategies, which always includes a link to the new episode when it's available. You can listen to the show anytime on the Actus website or via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. All the links we discussed during today's episode will be available in the show notes. And as always, we'd really appreciate it if you'd take a minute to leave us a five-star review on your podcast app to help others find our show. Our intro and outro music is Media Noche by D.N. Key, and our ad music is Take Me Higher by Jazar, both obtained from the free music archive. If you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please email us at actish inquiries at simplifycompliance.com. Until next time, take care, everyone.